Turn with me this morning to the Gospel of Luke. I've already heard two Bible readings connected to the birth of Christ. Let's hear a third. Luke chapter 1, and we're going to commence reading in verse 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Let's hear the word of the Lord. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Heal, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the Highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Let's bow together in a wee word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask this day you'll accept our thanks for these readings of the scriptures, for the hymns of praise that have already been offered. Lord, we thank thee for the gifts and tithes and offerings for the work of God. And Lord, we commit ourselves and our service to thee now especially. Shut us in with thyself. Draw near. We need thee, Lord. We want thee amongst us. We welcome thee and thy voice, for thy voice is comely. Lord, come and speak to us. Surely it's a mercy that thou dost speak to us. Thou dost know where we're at individually. Lord, thou dost know where this church is at in all its need in a spiritual sense. Lord, there's a need for conversion growth amongst us. We're thankful for souls saved during the time of mission. But Lord, we, we long for souls to be saved even in these days. Lord, we cry to thee, give household salvation. Fulfill your promise, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Lord, have mercy on our young, young ones who, who have little interest in the things of God. Even bring them out. You can bring them out this evening. You can bring them out on Tuesday morning. Lord, have mercy, we pray. We look to thee in Jesus' name. It might be pleased, Lord, to give us even transfer growth. We look to thee. It might please thee to give us biological and internal growth in the life and witness of the church. 
And we long, Lord, for babies to be born and families to be raised up in the house of God here. Remember the need in the Sunday school, the need, Lord, in the children's meetings. We commit all the difficulties we face to thee. And we say to thee, Lord, in Jesus' name, help thou us. Remember every family today, you know, the heartaches, the tears, the problems, the difficulties. We commit them all to thee. Come alongside, for that was a word, Lord, for everyone. And we pray that they'll get their eyes in thee and they'll hear thy voice and they'll be glad when they see the Lord. We look to thee, Lord, that you'll just be with us now as we turn to thy word. And we're asking, O God, that you'll come by the Holy Spirit. We know the entrance of thy word giveth light and giveth understanding to the simple. And we pray that you'll open up our hearts and minds to the word of God. And we pray, Lord, what you do in Carrie Duff, that you'll do for our sister congregations at home and abroad. Lord, our whole denomination needs to be brought to repentance, needs to be brought to restoration and recovery. We need to return to thee. Lord, we need to bring the king back. And we need to crown Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. Give mercy to this end, we pray. Lord, we pray you'll bless our queen today and the royal house. And we commit our land to thee in all its need. Northern Ireland and England and Scotland and Wales and even in the Republic of Ireland. And we pray for divine intervention again. We pray for a mighty move of thy spirit and a revival of true Bible-believing religion. Lord, have mercy, we pray. We, we cry to thee. Hear our feeble cry today. And, O oh God, have mercy to this end upon us. Bless us now. Cover me in the blood. Give physical strength and help to preach thy word. And use thy word, we pray, for thy glory. For Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Now, my text this morning... Is taken from Luke chapter 1, verses 31, right through to verse 33. And my theme today is pondering God's profound personal message for the Virgin Mary. So I've given you the text, Luke 1, 31 to 33, and think of these thoughts, pondering God's profound personal message for the Virgin Mary. You see, it's my belief that Luke chapter 1, verses 26, right through to verse 38 that I've read in your hearing, contains one of the most profound, private, personal, yet practical messages in the whole world. The angel Gabriel is mentioned in the Bible four times, two in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, and two in the New Testament. It's recorded by Dr. Luke. Luke chapter 1, verse 19. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And on both occasions in the New Testament where Gabriel's name is mentioned, it's mentioned in connection with the announcement of the birth of the Christ child. Luke 1, 11 to 21 records how the angel Gabriel spake to Zacharias the priest in the temple in Jerusalem and told him that his wife Elizabeth was going to give birth to a baby boy and that that boy's name was to be John and he was to be great in the sight of the Lord and he was to prepare a, a, a path uh, for the Lord himself who, who was to come. Remember Elizabeth was old, she was past childbearing age 
and yet it happened exactly as the angel Gabriel had said. Six months later, after that visitation in the temple to Zacharias, the same angel, the angel Gabriel, was sent from God this time into a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a a young girl, a, a pure chaste girl, whose name was Mary. And if you look get very carefully at verse 28, you've got the greeting there. What did the angel say to Mary? Heal, thou that are highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. In verse 29, you've got Mary's reaction. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. Uh, and the word troubled there uh, means alarmed, agitated. It, it means she was affected. She, she didn't know what to make of this heavenly visitor. She was deep in thought. She was trying to reason it out. And what did the angel tell her? Look with me at verse 30. Fear not, Mary. That's one of the fear nots in the Bible. The late Dr. Paisley uh, told me that there was 366 fear nots in the Bible. That's one for every day of the year, even including the leap year. And whatever you're facing today, whatever you'll face tomorrow, whatever you'll face in 2019, remember every day God is a fear not. God can come to you and give you his word whispered into your ear and tell you, Do not let be be afraid. Let go of your fears and allow the Lord and his grace and power to strengthen and help you. This angel told Mary that she had found favor with God. And then he proceeded to announce in her ears one of the most profound, personal, practical messages that any mortal ear ever heard. Now, I want you to put yourself in Mary's shoes. She lives in Nazareth, a place with a bad reputation. It was not the religious center of the nation. It's not Jerusalem. The angel didn't go to Herod's temple or Herod's palace or or didn't go to the temple in Jerusalem. Um, Mary's not a religious leader. She's not even a prophetess. She's just an ordinary girl. The Bible tells us she's a virgin, espoused to be married to a man called Joseph. She's just not really from a prominent family, maybe not even highly educated. I would put it to you that she was a poor working class girl, not well known in Israel. And this girl is told, you're going to give birth to a son And you're going to call that son Jesus, and he shall be great. He shall be called the son of the highest. The Lord is going to give to him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And what does Mary do? She asks. What does she say? Verse 34. How can this be? Seeing I know not a man. Verse 35. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Notice how she handled this message. Look with me at verse 38. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. 
Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. I believe that Mary's response is indeed a great role model for Christian discipleship. There was total as well as voluntary submission to the mind and the will and the word of God. Now let me tell you this morning that the biblical portrait of the Virgin Mary is totally different to the false portrayal of her by the Roman Catholic Church. Roman Catholicism wrongly teaches that Mary was conceived without sin. It's called the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. It is no warrant in the Word of God. The Roman Catholic Church also teaches the perpetual virginity of Mary. That means she had no other children after the birth of Christ, or she had no intimate relationship with Joseph in the context of marriage. They also teach the bodily assumption of Mary into heaven. They teach that Mary is equal to Christ in the work of redemption, that she cooperates with him. She's a co-redeemer, co-redemptrix, that she's prayed to, that a whole system of worship is built up around her. But none of it's true. None of it is set forth in the Bible. Not even in the Roman Catholic version of the Bible, the diary version that has the imprimatur of Rome's stamp upon it. And I had an interesting conversation last Lord's Day evening with a dear lady in Ardara at the end of the service on this very subject. That, that what the Bible teaches about Mary is totally different to what Roman Catholicism teaches about her. And I, I pointed out to this dear lady, to, to, for, for Rome to teach this about Mary is, is to sin against her. Because Mary was a working class girl from Nazareth, placed with a bad reputation. She was a virgin. She was espoused to be married, probably in her late teens, and she was the young girl of God's choice to be his human instrument to bring his son into the world. And it was to her, and to her alone, this profound, this very private, this very personal, practical message was given. Now, I want to ask this morning, what was that message all about? What did it center on? What, what did it focus on? What was its basis? And I want to suggest this morning from this text of Scripture three things. So consider, ponder God's personal, private message to the Virgin Mary. I want to put it to you this morning that it centers on the fulfillment of a promise. I want you to see this. I want you to try and grasp this. Because the message that the angel Gabriel announced to Mary, when, when it was announced, was actually the announcement of the fulfillment of God's promises. Now, turn back in your Bible there to um, the Gospel of Matthew. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 1. One of the boys read this to us. 
It says in Matthew 1 verse 22, Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Now do you see the connection that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet. I want you to think with me this morning of the first gospel promise. It's over there in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. I also want you to think of the words in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 that Joel quoted for us. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. And then we'll come to Isaiah chapter 9 and we read there uh, in the verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, I want you to notice in Isaiah chapter 9, especially in verse 7, the reference to the king on the throne. A king that has a kingdom who rules and reigns that kingdom. You see, the words of Gabriel to Mary have centered on a promise or promises already given by God. Promises that are hundreds of years old that stretch back to Genesis 3.15 that, that bring us into the days of Isaiah the prophet 700 years before Christ. Of course, we could add in Micah chapter 5 and 2 um, where he was to be born. He was to be born in Bethlehem. Why was he born in Bethlehem, boys and girls? Because God said through Micah the prophet, that's the place where the Christ child was going to be born. Long before Mary was ever born, long before she ever lived in Nazareth, these promises were given. They were bound up in the heart and mind of God. For many years, even though they'd been given, they remained unfulfilled. And they were unfulfilled right up to this present time that the angel Gabriel was sent to Nazareth to speak to Mary. And yet the Bible tells us, in Genesis or in Galatians 4 and 4, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. You see, here's the point this morning. God's word is trustworthy. You today can take him at his word. You can rely and rest in the word of God. Maybe you've got a word from God in the past. Maybe it's a word about household salvation. Maybe it's a word about a particular situation that you're facing. The years have passed. And all that's happening in your life appears out of sync and out of step. And yet, you've still got that word from God. And what I want to say to you this morning is, 
You can depend on that word. Think of the little hymn. Uh, the chorus, I'm standing in the promises of God. The Bible tells us for all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen. And, and, and I've been told by a man called Herbert Lockyer, who wrote a book, All the Promises of God in the Bible, that there's some 7,300 promises in the book. God had promised the seed of the woman. Way back when the fall had happened with Adam and Eve and us in the loins of Adam. God promised that a child would be born. God had promised through Isaiah a son would be given. That his name would be Emmanuel which being interpreted as God with us. And this announcement of Gabriel was the promise being fulfilled. Believer this morning, you're here with a heavy heart. And you have tears in your eyes and, and you have difficulties that you're facing. You can trust God's promises. Even though at times we're waiting for the fulfillment. Remember, God is in control. God is ordering all things according to his will. Somebody told me the other day, God is in control of time. And God is in control of events. And God is in control of people. And here's God revealing the greatest of all mysteries. Here's God bringing to pass the greatest of all miracles. You remember what Gabriel told Mary in verse 37? He told her, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. Think of this, a virgin going to give birth to a son. That's what Isaiah 7 and 14 was all about. Joseph in the dream was told, now all this was done that it might be fulfilled by what Isaiah the prophet had said. See, it had not happened before. It never happened again. It's really the miracle of all miracles. And God in that miracle is bringing forth the greatest of all messages. And Mary may not have fully understood the message. She pondered it in her heart. But, 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 but this was God's message to her. And it was, it was the greatest of all mercies. Because God was intervening into this human world in which we live. This was God's way to bring about salvation and redemption. And, and Mary accepted the word. In fact, you've got Mary's song here in this chapter, Luke 1, verses 46 to 55, and she's full of hope. She's full of joy. She's full of praise. She says, my soul doth rejoice in God my Savior. You see, it all resolved around the birth of this child, who he was and what he was like and what he was to become and what he was going to do. It was all about what God was doing, not about what Mary was doing. It was God that sent the angel. It was God that, that told the angel to tell her that the Lord is with thee. To tell her that she was highly favored. And, and that she was going to have a son and a son was to be called Jesus. And this is what he was to be like. Christmas time's a lovely time of the year. I, I love Christmas time. It's a time, of course, of immense joy and happiness. Why? Because we can go to the shops and spend our money. Uh, because we can buy each other gifts. Because we can send a card. Because of carol singing. Because of special services. Over and beyond that. What's the message? It's about the birth of Christ coming into the world. 
we're well aware that we live in a very secular society. We live in a commercialized world. And of course, the vast majority have little time or regard for Christ. You think of young people today, and I was thinking about them last night as I was driving through town, and I was seeing a whole pile there in Balnehen standing outside a pub, and they're drinking beer, and they were smoking cigarettes and laughing, and it seemed to be having a good time. And I thought, what revelry. But also, what rebellion. Because they're celebrating an event that they've never stopped to think, what is this event all about? What is Christmas all about? If I was to ask them regarding Christ, the vast majority might have great ignorance. Many scarcely know his name. They know why he came. Celebrating an event and not know him. This event centers on the fulfillment of a promise. Notice very quickly, it not only centers on the fulfillment of a promise, but it, it centers by focusing on a person. See, we're being taught here about Christ. A real historical child. A child of flesh and blood. A son. His name, Jesus. A son who's going to be great. Uh, he's going to be called the son of the highest. The son of God. He's going to be given the throne of David. He's going to reign forever and ever. What are we learning about this child? Well, three things very quickly and very simply. We're learning about Christ as son, the eternal son. Jesus Christ is the eternal son of God. He's called here, uh, Luke one thirty-five, the son of God. Uh, again, you see there in verse 32, he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. You should underline that in your Bible. There is to be no higher than him. You can't get beyond him. You certainly um, uh, will not come up alongside him. He didn't become the son of God at his conception. At his birth and time, he didn't become the son of God during his lifetime. Uh, certainly, he didn't become the son of God when he died in the tree or rose again from the dead. He always was eternally the son of God. He's God in the flesh. He's the God-man and one person forever. Great is the mystery of God and as God was manifest in the flesh. And I was thinking of the, the catechism, who's the redeemer of God's elect? And the answer, of course, is the only redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ, who being the eternal son of God, became man and so was and continued to be God and man and two distinct natures and one person forever. Think of the name, Emmanuel, God with us. How, how profound is that? When we think of the nativity scene, the baby Bethlehem, a little innocent baby, bundle of joy, smiling, happy little face, tiny little fingers. Let's remember that that babe was not just a good child, not just destined to be a great child or a great man, not just a gracious individual who spoke lovely words. But let's remember this, and this is the heart of it. He was the God-man. God in human flesh. And I acknowledge that's a mystery. That's the greatest of all miracles. But that's the greatest of all messages. God with us. And surely that's one of life's greatest blessings. Uh, 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 um, uh, to, to have God with us on the, the onward march of life. Uh, Christ remembers both God and his man. 
And besides him, there's no one else. The Bible says, for there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. I want you to think of Christ as Savior. See, Jesus Christ is not only the eternal Son, but he's the exclusive Savior. Remember the message of the angel of the Lord to Joseph? We're not told who the angel of the Lord was that came to him in a dream. It may have been Gabriel, but, but we don't know. And, and, and it was the same name. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Only this time the angel expanded a little bit to Joseph, for he shall save his people from their sins. See, the Lord Jesus didn't come to this earth to set a good example. He didn't come to implement a moral code for people to live by. He didn't come to merely tell us, well, God loves us and teach us about that love. Although that's true, but he didn't just come and say, you've got to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. He certainly didn't come to be a martyr for a righteous cause. He didn't come to set up a, an earthly kingdom to defeat the Romans and, and rule at that time from Jerusalem. No, he came to save. And this was the message before he was born. That's why he's called Jesus. And of course, the implication of that is that man's a sinner, Romans 3 and 23. People today have a vague concept. They have little thought. They have no cognizance that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And of course, man's greatest need is to be saved from sin and its consequences. The penalty of sin, the power of sin, the pollution of sin, the very presence of sin. And of course, if you're not a true believer, if you haven't come to Christ and confessed, Lord, I'm a sinner, then here this morning, you need to be saved from your sin. It's not the church that saves. It's good to come to church in the Lord's day. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's good to read your Bible. It's good to pray. And it's also good to be morally upright and honest before men. But that's not the ground of our salvation. It's good to be sincere in what you believe. But that's not the ground of salvation. The ground of salvation is Christ and Christ alone. Neither is there um, any name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I want you to see something else quickly. Not only Christ as the eternal son and the exclusive savior, but Christ as the everlasting sovereign. You see, Mary was told he should be great. He is to um, occupy the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob. Of his kingdom there shall be no end. Christ the king on the throne. Whose kingdom shall never end. He's king of kings and lord of lords. And the king came. And the king was born. And the king lived. And the king died. And the king was resurrected. And the king is interceding. And the king is returning. Oh, that we could see that he's king of kings now. The king of life. The king of love. The king of light. A king who rules and reigns now. A king, of course, who's a delightful king. And yet this same king that's delightful is so holy and so righteous that he'll punish all rebels. One day he'll put all things under his feet. Do you think of him? What's your attitude to him? Notice the focus is on Christ. In this message, it's not only the fulfillment of a promise, but focuses in on one person. He, not Mary, 
And I pointed this out to my friend last Sunday night. It's an eternal son. He's an exclusive saviour. He's the everlasting sovereign. And when Mary said, my soul doth rejoice in God my saviour, in verse 46, in the song as she started to sing under the help of the Holy Spirit, she, she recognized that, that it was focusing in on the person of Christ and especially on his saviourhood. Now one final thought. This message features a pattern. I want you to think of Mary and her response as we finish. Look at verse 38. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Remember what Elizabeth said to her under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit whenever Mary eventually went to Elizabeth's house, having heard the news that she was expecting a baby too, and she was six months already pregnant. Notice verse 45 of the same chapter. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And, and, and here's the pattern. I want you to think of Mary bowing in submission. And I want you to think of Mary believing the scriptures. Because that's the pattern. Be it unto thine handmaid according to thy word. Young girl, do you see yourself as a handmaid of the Lord? Young boy, have, have you bowed the knee to God? In, in humble submission in light of his word. God has spoken. I believe that. I accept that. See, there was a man who would only come out to church at Christmas service. He was called Jim. The pastor said to Jim, go out the door. Jim, when are you going to join the army of the Lord? And Jim says, oh, I'm already in the army, pastor. And the pastor said, well, if you're in the army, how come we only see you once a year at Christmas time? Oh, he says, I'm in the secret service. And, and how many are like that in today's society? I, I think of January of 1956. I, I think of Jim Elliot. I, I think of four missionaries who went to live in uh, Ecuador in effort to reach the Aka Indians. And they ended up giving their life to try and reach those Indians for Jesus Christ. What is of significance to us? What is of most important in their lives? Surely it's the realization that my time and my talents and my treasure must be given up to the Lord. Remember C.T. Studd, of Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. There's a bowing in submission. The handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to that word. And she believed the scriptures. And that's the pattern. And that's why I believe Mary's a role model for, for discipleship. A young teenager girl from a working class uh, community living in a place where there's a bad reputation and she gets this message and the message is direct from the angel of the Lord as it comes from the mouth of God. It's all about the birth of Christ and she bows in submission to that word and she believes that word. Now I want to ask this, young people. Have you bowed in submission to the word of God?
There's a God in heaven with whom I have to do. It starts when you realize you're a sinner, that you have a soul, you need to be saved, and God's salvation. And you bow in submission and you cry out like Peter, Lord, save me, I perish. And then you believe the scriptures, what the scripture teaches about this God and about God's son, Jesus Christ, and the revelation of God's book. You believe that with all your heart. Is that true of you this morning? I trust that it is. And if it isn't, I pray that you'll follow Mary's pattern. You'll bow and you'll believe. May the Lord bless these few thoughts to you today. We're going to turn and close.